hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, and I'm joined as always by Bruno. How you doing, mate? Doing good. How about you? Not too bad, not too bad. We're back for a spooky Halloween special. We are recording on the evening of the 31st of October, and I'm still spooked by that fucking Everton performance. Um, Southampton did make up for it, though. I mean, it was really... Uh, it really was a tale of two games. In fact, probably not even that. Probably just three shit halves and one that made all the difference. But we'll get into that properly. Um, a bit of housekeeping from us, frankly. Um, we had a lot of personal circumstances that meant we couldn't fully record and edit the Wolves and Leicester episodes. I have my audio. Bruno's corrupted, so it happens. You know, it's technical errors. We're really sorry about the, the scheduling, but we're really back on track. And we've actually reformatted the way we're going to be running these podcasts to add more value. We've always wanted to be a uh, have a bit of a younger focus, have more of a stats-driven one, as well as sort of to feed off the buzz of social media and see what people are really talking about. So without spoiling too much, we are definitely going to be looking at it at games in a different way from here on in um but we've still had really positive feedback from you guys so thank you for bearing with us we're obviously new and always trying to improve trying to move this pod forward and trying to ultimately create content that you guys love so we're really happy to be doing this but obviously we uh we're beyond grateful for the patience that a lot of you have shown um and always always keep the love flowing but without further ado let's start by talking about that everton game oh my god i feel like i'm scratching at a wound here i don't know about you bruno yeah, I mean, it was an absolutely terrible performance from start to finish. I think it's not something we weren't expecting. Um, Decore's suspension gave everyone a bit of a warning as to what was going to happen. Um, you know, before our game, we put out a poll asking uh, what we thought um, the result would be. And very few people seemed to think we'd be getting anything from the game. Um, and that sort of pessimism was compounded when we realised that Decore's replacement wasn't Gyro, who'd had a decent cameo uh, the game before, or um, uh, Will Hughes, who people are increasingly calling for. It was Luka, Luka Milivojevic, Captain Fantastic, man like Serbia. Um, and he didn't have the best game uh, to start at all, did he? Not at all. No, as you've mentioned, there was really no optimism. There were a few options, although... You know, Will Hughes and, and Jari Riedewald, as much as I would have loved to have seen them, there's still question marks as to whether they're an out-and-out holding midfielder. I'd argue that they could do a job there, but obviously Luca is the most natural fit in terms of people who have had the most experience playing there. That being said, you know, it there was always going to be a bit of a question mark over who would come in. Um, but nonetheless, it was Luca, who obviously with Vieira and the management team is still a well-respected figure. Let's not forget that there are these social dynamics that we're just never going to see. And we have to be mindful of the fact that yeah. he's always going to be high at the pecking order in terms of getting game time when there's a, there's a vacancy. Um, he knows as much as anyone else that he's not been as pivotal to this squad as he perhaps was when he first came in. Um, and actually, as it happened, Southampton, he, he looked like a man reborn at times. Um I will, I'll we'll touch on that later, but let's focus on Everton. Um, obviously, when I saw the lineup, I kind of thought, "Oh fuck, here we go." To be fair, I wasn't surprised that it was him, but as you say, um, considering our away form's never been great under Vieira, let alone the fact that his form is, you know, let's be honest, very questionable. I think there wasn't really a lot of hope of coming into this. That being said, I think we still arrogantly assume that Everton would be a bit of a not quite a walk in a park, but would be a a far more competitive game even without Decore. Um. It's known that their squad's obviously been reshaped quite a bit. It's um, a lot more hardy at the back, I'd say, but also 
Um, it lacks the sort of dynamism and the big money signings and the the creativity that we we have saw in uh, in the Hollywood era, if you like, under Farhad Mashiri there. Um, when I was a sports writer, actually, Bruno, I don't know if you knew this, but I used to cover Everton. In fact, pretty much the entire time I was at the job that um, that I was running at the time as a freelancer. Um, so I have a really good knowledge of Everton and their fan base, the sort of issues they're facing themselves. So to be honest, they're a club that, frankly, you might hate me for this, but I've always got a bit of time for them. I think when you cover a club for that length of time, you always have an affinity with the issues there. But that being said, you know, they're a club in turmoil in very different ways and, and nonetheless trying to sort of refine themselves and boy, did they fucking find themselves against us. Um, Palace got comprehensively beaten, pretty much flat from start to finish in a 3-0 trumping. Um, we knew Decore was going to be a miss, first of all, as we've already discussed, but just to highlight um, how big a suspension was for us, you can see some stats here. Um, courtesy of FB Ref. Um, he's in the 97th percentile for interceptions. I think that's an average per game of 2.15. So, you know, he's obviously hugely instrumental winning the ball back and the 71st for tackles. So, again, you know, he's a pretty decent ball winner in comparison to those around him at a really similar level. Progressive passes surprised me here. 96th percentile with averaging of almost six a game. Not surprising at all. Uh, we knew what we were paying for when we got him, and one of those traits that he's he was best known for um, in France was his progressive passes. Uh, he has consistently been one of those players that tries to break the lines with a through ball or just... Now, progressive passes are sort of a bit of a misleading stat because it just... Really, it's just a... It, I think it's like a pass that more than 10 yards in a forward direction or from one half to the other or something along those lines. So yeah, it can be quite aimless, potentially. Yeah, yeah his, his position definitely helps him in terms of how many progressive passes he's making. Um, but he's... We would really miss, and we do really miss, um, that progressivism when he's out of the side. And the man that replaced him, Luka Milivojevic doesn't bring that you know everyone always sort of feels like he's a bit of a sideways passer or a back passer um or in the case of Everton's first goal not passing at all giving the ball away and them scoring it was a calamitous move really from our part I mean they really did I mean fair play you think about a Wobi I mean he's a man reborn again not an EFC podcast but um you know it's a known fact that he, he obviously notched a few assists right against us and um, even before then, was looking much more comfortable in this. They've actually done an essay with him. They've done the same thing. They've taken a natural, or arguably a natural winger, and made him a, a an effective midfield dynamo um, to a really good effect, actually. And again, he was instrumental in the build-up for several of the goals, actually. But keeping it in the here and now, um, absolutely tore us apart. Luca gets nicked. Gay he gets nicked again by Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who absolutely bullies him and bundles him off the ball before coolly slotting past in the eleventh minute. Um, we just couldn't deal with the pressing. They they played, as they have done in the past against us, with real intensity. But unlike previous encounters, we really struggled to get out our own half and really sort of gain a foothold. Whereas, you know, we've previously withstood their attack. I mean, do you remember the um, 4-0 win at home at Selhurst? Obviously very, you know, resounding. It got us to Wembley. Um, I was in the White Horse because it was the only tickets I could get, actually. But, um, you know, great game. But, you know, let's not forget the first 10, 20 minutes of that, we were under the cosh and struggled only to then dominate for the rest of it um it was a very different pattern here under Lampard was it not yeah I mean it isn't just Everton that do this because I think teams are working it out that we really struggle with getting high pressed I think Arsenal on the opening day completely destroyed us Liverpool were destroying us until we got that breakaway goal with Wilf and a few other teams have done it um I think including uh Wolves for a little bit but 
Frank Lampard tried it again and it worked. Uh, I think their pressing led to two of their three goals. Yeah, um, yeah, completely. We seem to almost play, especially away from home, with like a lethargy. Like we're expecting the right to have time on the ball when in reality teams press us and we just completely shit the bed. Um, mm. Anderson has started doing this thing where he's not playing those classic pings cross field to Wilf as much as he's doing low driven balls into the centre circle for a striker to then uh, lay off to the to the wingers. And he didn't get the opportunity to do that as much at Everton So he, because it was just blocked for him. So we'd play a pass to Mark and then Mark would get closed down. Then he played a Mitchell and then Mitchell would try and get a pass out wide but it would just get deflected out for the throw-in because Mitchell can't play a pass. Yeah. We are not set up to be a press-resistant side all the way through. You know, we've got players who are somewhat press resistant, like Anderson, like Gay to a degree, and especially Czech to Corey. But without those three as a core, you suddenly realize you've got Luka Milivojevic as your holding player who's meant to be spinning the ball into more dangerous positions, and Joel Ward and Tyrick Mitchell on either side, who are on their best day not a ball playing fullback. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a very astute assessment, actually. I think that's fantastic. Um, I couldn't have put it better myself, really. And I think that whole core idea is really interesting because we obviously know that Anderson and Gay is a formidable partnership. They really kind of cover each other's flaws. Anderson is wonderfully creative for a centre-back and um, really helps with splitting the lines in our build-up. So when you add Decore in, again, it enhances that effect. Um, it's like you take one piece out of that jigsaw and suddenly we're just not quite the same defensively. We were kind of relying on all three being fit and playing together to get this kind of um, this structure in place where we have defenders that are comfortable on the ball that can help cover for each other that can help lift pressure off can progress play can split lines you know these are all things that are so important to the way that Vieira has built his team and you know I feel like when on our day we were a really well-oiled engine and I think you take one cog out of that and suddenly it's hit or miss as to whether we'll do anything great or not it's so it's such a perfect storm for things to go wrong because of just how perfect it's set up when it does go right it's so it's almost paradoxical this team and I think you've really summed it up there um but yeah, they tore us apart from minute one and we really couldn't deal with their press. It's a trend, as you've mentioned. Um, I want to just briefly move on to the second goal because although Palace did get back into the game and have a few half chances of Eze and Zaha, I mean, they were fairly aimless. They were mostly sort of coming out from wide. We didn't really threaten enough. And I think anything that we did threaten with, I think Pickford was, you know, only, let's be honest, Pickford had a decent game. Um, wasn't called upon greatly, but when he did, he was always in the right position, was able to cut things out quite well. You know, we didn't create anything huge, but um, even just little floated crosses and half-assed attempts to go at goal were, were met pretty comfortably. And again, I think we were pretty impotent. Um, but I think we need to fast forward to the second goal here because, I mean, let's be honest, let's, let's just get the obvious out of the way. There is no debate. Gordon was onside. It was pretty shoddy goalkeeping and defending. Um, I want to focus on Guaita specifically because there was a lot of talk about that. Um Obviously, they get in with a good chance. Um, Guaita sort of parries it, but it gets poached by uh, Anthony Gordon, who's able to maraud down the right and cut in just for an easy tap home with absolutely no one on hand to take responsibility. Um, what did you make of him spilling that chance? Take me through that. It's a tough one because really the defences let him down in letting, I um, can't remember who it was who had the initial shot, um, get that shot away. But as a goalkeeper... As a goalkeeper, right, you're told to um, get the ball as far away from any player as possible, right? Either tip it out or um, just away in general. 
but it just sort of slips through him. I think it's a mistake. It's not a con- it's not an intentional thing. It's a complete mistake. He's not gotten down fast enough. Um, you could say Gordon's lost his man. I think we're probably just ball watching to see if if the shot goes in. To be honest, um, yeah, Gaeta should be doing better. He's not covered himself in glory, um, sort of in the opening stages of the season, uh, and it's not been easy for him to have the support of fans either. With you know new signing Johnson sort of waiting in the wings, but. He as well has not been excellent, you know. He had that injury um, soon after he joined us and had a pretty poor game uh, against PSG and for the under twenty one. So, you know, there's a reason he's not he's not playing. Um, and yeah, I think the way people feel about Gaeta is if he's not making those saves, um, like you'd argue he should have made uh, for that for that goal in particular then he should at least be making up for it somewhere else. And this season, he hasn't been, um, you know, distributing at a level that works with the rest of our team and that system. Uh, and he wasn't doing it last last year, to be fair, either, but he was maybe slightly better uh, shot-stopping. So you could say the reason that patience for him has fallen, especially after that game, would be due to the combination of both not being uh, up to par. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I always wonder at the back of my mind, you know, goalkeepers obviously have longer shelf lives than the average player, um, particularly like your attacking outfield players, let alone ones further back. But, you know, I do wonder if his age is catching up with him because it almost feels like he's lost this agility or this, not his, rea- his reactions are still quite good, to be fair, yeah. but his that's something that you don't lose of age. But I mean, his pouncing ability, his ability to make dives, to, to, to really stretch his body, to be more authoritative in the way that he... Um, Faces shots. In yeah, particular. he looks a lot more rigid, doesn't he? Um, he does he his looks saving flat. technique? It's a bit unorthodox. Like he's always sort of on his knees, um, sort of sliding about, as opposed to looking like a professional goalkeeper. The best way I can sort of think to compare it is if you look at Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, his like running form. It looks like he's sort of being held back. It looks like he's running through treacle. He sort of looks like his muscles and bones aren't working the way they used to. Uh, and that's sort of sort of the equivalent of that uh, for Gaeta. I'm not saying that that's fully um, sort of the end of him, but I'm saying it's probably having an adverse effect on his shot stopping. You know, I, I, I wouldn't ever call him unfit or anything like that. I, I still think, you know, you can see the things that obviously don't go with age, you know, like in terms of your, your positioning or your reflexes. These are things that don't age, but um, certainly his, his, um, his agility, he just looks so lethargic. And I think you've really illustrated it well there. Um, you do have to wonder, I mean, as you say, with Johnston, there's obviously this clamour around him, you know, England international, you know, all right, he was, he was, he still leaked a lot of goals because he had one of the worst offences I've ever seen in West Brom in front of him. But, you know, he, he did a, he, he's got a pedigree about him. He's certainly got a good shot stopping ability. And I think because of that um, chasm between Guaita's shortcomings and Johnston's perceived like advantages over him, then obviously a lot of fans do want to see him in, but you know, he's not the Holy Grail and, you can still see there's a great player in Guaita somewhere. It's just a case of how we unlock it and how we help take pressure off him. Um, and obviously, let, there's, let's be honest, there is a long-term plan. Johnston will be part of that. And um, we are future-proofed, at least, in that department, which is something. But I have to say, I think it's quite obvious now that Guaita is... You really don't know which one's going to turn up. The the kind of acrobatic maestro we've seen, even this season against Newcastle, but more, more greatly, I suppose, when he came in in... Uh, a few seasons ago and then the season afterwards as well, where I really think we saw him in his prime. Um, I think really we're seeing a, a decline of a, of a fundamentally decent keeper, but nonetheless a decline that um, is quite visible for all to see. 
Um, I can't fault him personally. It's he can't help it. Ultimately, it's a shame if people were to start scapegoating him somehow. I just think there has to be a a realism about him in that he is getting on. He's what thirty seven now. Thirty five. Turns thirty six in a few months. Oh sure, well, close enough, right? He he's still getting the thirty six is still old territory even for a keeper. Um, you're getting in Ben Foster territory at that point. Yeah. Although if Guaita started a podcast, I might actually listen to it anyway. Um, one thing I found really interesting was that according to SofaScore, Wolf was arguably our worst player with a 5.9 rating, which I say surprises me, but that's only because in the wider context of him, he's so fundamentally creative. He's a, such a huge part of our attack. Um, you don't expect him to be anonymous. You know, It's not something we talk about too often. He's already had his mark this season early on and will continue to, I'm sure. So he had a 5.9 rating, um, which is the worst on our team. Um, the only thing I can say for it not surprising me is that basically we didn't really create anything at all in the first place and everything he tried didn't really come off. So what do you make of that? It's been a trend under Vieira and maybe a little bit longer that Wilf sort of has two modes, either when he's switched on or when he isn't. And you can sort of tell the difference in whether or not he's got the confidence to take players on or I'm not saying riled up because he got what riled up and he got booked for it um, and then the club was fined for losing control of its players but um, you could just tell and it was the same thing against Leicester that it just wasn't Will stay you know he'd get the ball back to goal and just pass straight back to Mitchell defender on the side he was being rotationally fouled and wasn't making the comebacks that you would normally see him make in that situation. He wasn't taking on a player. He got essentially pocketed by um, sort of a 37-year-old Seamus Coleman. Yeah. Which that is... That is something. I mean, we saw um, okay, Coleman no, get taken off the other day. But... Well, getting there, right? But I mean, we saw Coleman taken off the other day, didn't we? Um, specifically for that reason, he got absolutely done in the last game he played. So um, Nathan Patterson had just come back from injury. So I, re- I remember thinking at that point, like... What's they? What have they got that Wolf hasn't? You know, it was it was a strange moment for me. So the fact that he's still—I mean, don't get me wrong—I I think Seamus Coleman, it, like, he's, he's kind of like a, the, like I say, with with being a, a writer and covering Everton for a while, like you, they have the same relationship Everton with Seamus Coleman that we have with Joel Ward, basically slightly old right back that probably should have been replaced a while ago, but can always kind of do a job even if they're not amazing when called upon, and ultimately has the love of the fans, good or bad, really. Um. So he's one of those sort of cult heroes for them and uh, would probably be for some time even long after he retires and leaves the club, I'm sure. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a shame that Wolf just got pocketed and really couldn't create anything meaningful. It was such a shame. It's not um, helped by the team around him in that case because no, everyone was uh, subpar. But I guess he probably gets that rating that's lower as a result of being a player that normally is the difference maker for us. Maybe he wasn't actually that much worse, but um, at least how I'm thinking it, you know, he was outrun by Seamus Coleman, and you'd anyone would tell you that Wilf was is a quicker player than uh, Seamus Coleman, and anyone would also say that you'd expect Wilf to have the upper hand there, but he just didn't seem to want to give it a go or make those runs, uh, and he also wasn't, um, you know, supported by the referee or the linesman who consistently flagged him offside when he wasn't offside or you know, didn't give fouls when he was being fouled. It's a strange one, but it's very out of character, certainly, to have a performance like that. One thing I'd like to talk about is, um, are you as an aid? Because it's something we've seen increasingly in recent games. Um, you know, obviously, we've struggled to replace the progressive energy of Gallagher, and we've tried with Schlerp and Eze and so on, and fans will be more than familiar with that anyway. Um, 
But in that Everton game, he had a 77% pass accuracy, two key passes, one out of 12 of his ground duels. Now, he's not perfect. Um, the stats also revealed that he was fouled four times, but also gave away two big fouls and lost possession seven times, which is the joint lowest on the team. Nonetheless, he got a 6.9 rating on sofa score, which is the highest in the team. Um, I wouldn't exactly say he was my man of the match personally, but what did you make of him in this sort of role? I mean, are we seeing what I've called before the Joel Linton effect, this idea that you can take a striker who's maybe struggling and rejuvenate them in a kind of in a kind of box-to-box role? It's exciting because it gives us more options in um, what is otherwise a, a very sort of thin um, realm or pool of midfield options. Um, he's sort of been quietly okay there. Uh, it's been hard to judge uh, whether or not he's been better as an eight or out wide, because Vieira tends to swap him and Elise when playing at the same time, sort of back and forth between the wing and the midfield. So it's a bit tricky, but it seems like he can at the very least do a job there. And it would appear he's being preferred in that position to Will Hughes or um, sometimes uh, Jeff Schlupp. So yeah, it's something that can be done. Uh, and probably will be done in the future. But I'm also not fully convinced that that's anywhere near uh, his best position because at the same time, he's just a bit quiet. You know, our midfield looked very weak against um, Everton. You could say that was due to Milivojevic, but there's no doubt that IU played a role in that as well. You could argue that IU and Eze in a midfield is quite forward-minded, even though IU tracks back so much as uh, a winger or as a forward. We saw the inverse when we tried Van Aanholt under Roy uh, as a left mid against Leeds for a half and it completely backfired and he was useless because everyone always said, you know, Van Aanholt is always forward, always out of position. Then we tried him in that and somehow he was even more shit. So it could be that IU as an eight might be a bit of a Van Aanholt effect. We'll have to wait and see. I think that's pretty much sums it up. We'll have to wait and see. Um... Is it his natural role? I mean, obviously not. It's not. It wasn't Joel Linton's natural role either, but he's obviously been coached that way. He stepped up. He's had more time to kind of marinate, if you will. Um, it's one of those ones, isn't it, where you'll never really know until we have more exposure, but I'm not really sure on um, him in the long term. I mean, he's, he's not... He's physical enough, but he's still not... Um, he's not a beefcake like Joel Linton. He can't hold up play in the same way, even if he has got some strength about him and some ability to to sort of retain possession. Um, he certainly does give it away as well, as we've seen in Ever- in the Everton game. So there's a lot of um, debate to be had there, as I'm sure we'll see in future games. Um, wait and see, as you say. Um, just one other big thing. Ebi- Ebiowe got a decent cameo, actually, and looked very lively. Um, should he start more games? That simple. It's a hard... He, he hasn't got any Premier League experience, and even when he was playing for Derby, he wasn't a nailed-on starter, but... He's been, you know, he's had like, what, two cameos off the bench. Um, Not excellent. I think it's combined like 15 minutes uh, against Arsenal and against Everton. But for the 21s, he's a great. I mean, just an hour ago, he scored a beautifully taken um, sort of finesse shot against Arsenal's uh, youth squad. So, you know, he's getting some goal contributions at that level. He looks a class above. Um, The issue that he has is that he's got players in front of him like Jordan Ayew and obviously Michael Elise who have that sort of pedigree that he hasn't but you could say Elise was in the same position that he was in uh last year so I don't know um or rather Ebuwe is in the same position that Elise was in last year but 
I'd like to see him start some games, but I can't see it happening unless, um, you know, Elise gets injured or Ayu severely out of form or some combination of those. Because it's otherwise, I yeah. think Vieira wouldn't want to be disrespectful to two established players. We know, not to be crude, but how much of a hard-on he has for experience. Um, <laughs> so I can't really see him. He should start probably based off how he's been. Just give him a go. Um, it doesn't have to be like a repeated thing, although it's nice to give someone a chance to gain form. But that would be detrimental to Elise. So we should give him a go, see what he does, continue to force him to try to stand out and make an impact. I think it's hard to say that um, Vieira's got a hard-on for experience considering we just got out of the Roy Hodgson era. I think sometimes we forget how you know lucky we've got it at times considering what we had to go through with him. Um, that is one thing I'll say. I mean... I think Vieira does have more trust in youth generally, but I mean, I think the big thing that tell, is telling for me is Luca, and I don't think it's an experience thing so much as a, a respect thing. I think, um, as I said sort of earlier in the pod, you're always as a manager going to have these personal relationships like people do with their colleagues and their bosses and so on, and that's always going to affect your judgment in some way, for better or worse. And you know, he on paper Luca might not have been the best pick for Southampton, for Everton, whatever. You know, you could argue that um, on paper there was a lot of reason to try something wild, try something different. But Luca is the club captain. He has a lot of influence. And I'm sure he has quite a good relationship with the staff and Vieira. And there's probably a sense of optimism, at least internally, if, if you know, certainly not with the fans, but internally that um, he could do a job when needed. And speaking of doing a job when needed, he looked a very different player when he came, started again against Southampton. Um, just to, before we look at him, his performance individually, um, looking at Southampton in general... Um, the Saints had just come back and managed to scrape a pretty respectable 1-1 draw actually against Arsenal who are still league leaders actually and um, you know looked in very good nick there and was certainly trying to make a kind of a comeback in terms of form um, they were struggling in the table 16th and looking over their shoulders I know there's a lot of fans that want Hasselhuttle out there um, it was a really good chance for Palace to kind of um, bounce back show what we're made of and really pick up pace from a, a really, really shit performance at Everton in all senses. Um, what did you make of the game at large going into it? I mean, you had, did you still have this impression that there was questions over Vieira himself, things like that? Yeah, I think Vieira was going to come under a huge amount of criticism after Everton with that being our um, first uh, defeat by more than two goals to a side outside the big six. Um, That's true. I forgot that. Yeah, yeah and that point. criticism was almost you could, not justified, but felt like it had been justified when the lineup came out and uh, Decore, you know, was out with an injury. Even though Vieira had said that there were no new injuries in the press conference the night before, uh, and a midfield of Luca, Schlupp, and um, Eze has two traditional non midfielders in it, and Luka Milivojevic. So. It just didn't feel... It felt like maybe Hugh should have been in that position. Um, we'll touch on that later. But despite that, people still felt generally optimistic, possibly because of the quality of the opposition. But there was still a lot of room for things to go horribly wrong. And they didn't, thanks to luck, because we sort of went straight at it. You know, It was a really good start to the game. Um, I think you messaged me almost immediately saying, God, we actually look quite good. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. So that was exciting and then the crowd's mo crowd's mood rose and we had a offside goal and then a really good goal um and one thing i'd like to hear your thoughts on 
uh, is Tyrek Mitchell's role um, in the goal that we scored and how he's been improving this season going forward. Yeah, I mean, I've always... I think we have different opinions on Mitchell, and I think we both like him. I just think I I have a pretty more, I, I like to say I have a more positive opinion than you, just because I think that don't get me wrong, Mitchell is obviously he's still making mistakes. He does these things, but you know he's he's only he's only a little bit older than me to be honest. He's still learning. Um, I don't expect him to be perfect defensively or offensively. I just expect him to constantly be improving, and that's ultimately the trajectory I think he's taken. Um, I actually think it's also a longer-term trend of him improving going forward, to answer your question. Um, I think towards the sort of latter third or half of last season, I think we saw him improving anyway and getting more assists. Um, he's always had a desire to bomb forward, and I think um, particularly coaching with Zaha, actually, not, not just the staff, but actually Zaha as well, sort of, mentoring him to get forward more is something that really helped him it's something he's talked about before and I think Zaha's also mentioned how he's always encouraging like Mitchell right get forward you know run down the channel always keep an eye on your teammates and he's starting to play with his head up more going forward so you know defensively of course there's there's question marks but let's talk about the main issue here um really really improving going forward we saw he had a really good uh cross obviously against Aston Villa for Matata's goal and I think it was uh, obviously a very different kind of cross, but nonetheless, the same principles applied here. You know, he bombed up the left channel, linked up brilliantly with Wilf, um, played with his head up, saw Eduard and picked the pass out with with a plum. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, I, I think that was him at his best going forward. And I think it's something that we're seeing more frequently, which is something that particularly um, particularly inspires me that um, he can go on to do better things in that department. Um, we know, obviously, with the likes of... Um, Luca and Schlipp starting and as you say Decore out as well that um, it was always going to be difficult and yet there was a general optimism in fact a Palace Way poll said that 70% expected to win um, we've had things coming into it like climb back from injury um, so even if there were question marks over things going wrong I think it's performances like that individually from Mitchell that really justified that optimism I think and allowed us to play that half to full effect um, just, to, just to sign off on that half really um, Obviously, the link-up was fantastic for our goal. We'd had that goal disallowed as well. But I think what really showed throughout is that, be it from Anderson at the back or Eduard up front, the entire team was creating chance after chance after chance. Um, the link-up was superb. It, if anything, it was probably one of the best halves we've ever had this season. Um, in fact, the best half I think I've, we've ever had this season. It was so, it was just so going our way in every department. And you know, I, I'm even, I know I just made that point, but let's talk about Elise as well, because he was in a world of his own that half. He was fantastic. Um, it was a shame, really, we didn't get more. That's the only thing I, I lament, really. It was very typical Palace that we, we have things go our way and we really struggle to actually put the ball in the back of the net. Um, obviously, our strikers are much better than they've been for some time, but still, um, it was always going to be a bit of a concern. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's talk about the midfield again. Um, I just touched upon the wider context again and why it was encouraging to see people like Mitchell putting in some of their better performances because we needed that. Um, obviously, our midfield, there was there were these question marks despite the optimism. You know, we obviously, there was a bit of a meltdown when Zakori was out of the squad entirely for a small injury. Um, by the way, just a bit on that injury. Um, for those who don't know, it, Vieira did confirm it's only a small niggling one, so I expect him to be back very, very soon. Um, what did you make of our midfield, though? Better. It was better. Uh, Luca seemed to have more composure under, albeit a less powerful or intense press. Um, Eze had a brilliant game, one of his best games for us in that midfield role. Thought he was playing with sort of a freedom that we get sometimes, but that little flick over his head 
um, was absolutely delightful. Uh, Elise, although not a huge part of the midfield, like you've mentioned, was absolutely brilliant. I think it's one of his best games for us because um, he had that desire to take a man on, uh, to put some balls in. He didn't take many shots himself, but he still tried one from distance, which is good to see ambition from him. Uh, and Jeff Schlupp is a player that's always going to be quite divisive. I'm personally a huge fan of him. I think he brings a dynamism and a sort of pace. And an, he likes to let the ball run across his body and he uses that to take the ball forward. And he's just a very um, progressive dribbler in my eyes. Uh, although yeah. that's often cancelled out by his inability to uh, retain possession in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Which brings us to the debate. Should we give Will Hughes a chance? What do you think? You know, my instinct is to say yes because I'm frankly, I he, there was a run of form um, that he was in last year where he was fairly good and uh, you know was getting meaningful games and then sort of just dropped out owing I think to injury actually a small injury and then he never really found his spot again, which is a real shame because he's only he's only um, big negative. I mean, obviously no player is perfect and Will Hughes far from it, but his big negative is just his pace. And actually, if it wasn't for that, I think he would be starting a lot more games because for someone who's not quick, he's actually extremely technical and progressive and um, ambitious. He holds up the ball brilliantly. He's technically superb in a way I never even really realised until, first of all, I researched him for an article that's actually on the Palace way and then actually just watching him in person. And, um, you know, I remember that game against Everton under Benitez when all the Everton fans were calling Rafa a fat Spanish waiter and he just skinned Decore, the other Decore, that is Abdullah. And uh, Townsend, former Palace man, of course, and uh, had one of his best games I've ever seen from him in his career. It was just, he's, he's a brilliant player. Um, the only reason I would say he shouldn't be starting is because I think it's hard to justify after a fairly decent midfield performance. Um, Decore walks into this team, ours Decore this time. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's hard to, when you have a, such a solid game, even if the, it was we were sh- much shakier in the second half, to be honest, um, it's quite hard to justify Hughes getting a team so maybe there's there's an argument here that much like Johnston I suppose in a, in a, albeit in a much longer setting um, Hughes just needs to buy his time you know get his fitness up stay sharp um, perform in training impress the manager and eventually when things aren't going great because let's be honest we are going to have a game in it be, be it you know the next one in a, in, a, in a few weeks where we look absolutely shit again we have an Everton and there will be a strong case for him to knock on the manager's door and say why aren't I getting a look in now? Um, he's an assertive character. We know this. He's not someone who's going to shy away. He's a big personality. And, um, you know, it's uh, he's someone I hope really does get more game time. I just can't see it happening while Schlepp's reasonably effective. And, you know, even Luca. I mean, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword here. You know, Luca actually had a really good game against Southampton. And, you know, it's, it would be quite harsh on him to be dropped from a, from Vieira's perspective, from a, from a man-management perspective, even if... It's what logic dictates. So, I mean, it's a very long-winded way of saying no, but I am, I'm really do hope that Hughes does start. I just can't see it happening. Yeah, that's pretty um, pretty spot on. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the second half then, uh, if we're going chronologically. Uh, it was an obvious sort of decrease. Something we've uh, always struggled with as a team is sort of the typical cliche of a game of two halves. Um, Southampton made a change at the break and... A few more after that, and the game basically shifted. We made some more negative substitutions, as is the way of holding out games with Patrick Vieira, uh, and we got really lucky. I mean, it's a few brilliant uh, got you to save. So I'm looking at a little uh, chart here of attacking momentum. Nice little new stat. Um, and 
yeah, the game just completely shifted on its head. Um, we had only one, what would be classified as a big chance in the second half, uh, whilst uh, Southampton tipped that threshold about seven times. So it's fair to say the uh, the balance definitely swung in their favour, and we basically got away with one. Completely. I mean, I do. I I will say that their chances in the second half almost matched. I wouldn't say almost. I think they were better than our ones in the first half. It was like, it was like both teams took it in turns to see who could be the most creative. It, it's it astounds me that it was one nil. I don't know how we kept a clean sheet. Um, there was one moment in particular where Adams was through on goal. He'd pretty much gone through the entire defence. Um, and was one on one with Guaita, and it was only for. A, let's be honest, Guaita had a good game actually. Um, but a really good one on one situation that Guaita dealt with comfortably and basically kept us in it. Um. You know, I, I think it's, it's I'm I'm not complaining in the slightest, but that game was unfair on Southampton. You know, that's football for you. But uh, it was just for once we got lucky and they didn't. Um, you know, it was something that it, it, I, watching the highlights back, my jaw was dropping at some of those chances they had. I mean, it's it's shocking that they couldn't finish them, which is probably why they are where they are. Um, in case you don't believe me, the XG stats back it up quite nicely. Uh, Palace had 0.91%, uh, sorry, 91, whereas Southampton had 1.53 in terms of expected goals. So, again, you can it kind of implies here that whilst we weren't impotent, we definitely um, made the best of our chance, our big chance with Eduard, and uh, basically rode our luck, whereas Southampton, again, were probably more creative, had much better chances, and really did quite well um, from a creative standpoint and just couldn't find the back of the net, um, if not for some individual brilliance from us. Um, speaking of XG and chance creation... Should I pass or shoot more? Because there was a clear moment where he kind of passed, fucked it up. Um, it wasn't really fantastic from him, even though he had an amazing opportunity to put us ahead and to really make something of us. So what was Wilf at fault for that? I mean, what did you make of that situation? Because it's a big talking point still. People are still tweeting about it and thinking about it in relation to why, because as we know, it's one of those debates that just doesn't go away. What do you make of that? feels like every game there's one huge chance that IU in some way spurns. Um going all the way back to I think the game that's popping into my head is that Brighton game last season with the Mopay last minute winner when IE was set through and just put it wide when he was one on one. Uh and then he's done it multiple times this season, either going selfishly instead of making the easy pass. I think he did that against Leeds. Um and then this time he makes the right decision, which in my mind was to pass it. But the pass was just absolutely terrible. So are you in front of goal or any kind of when any kind of composure is necessary? He just seems to fuck it up at the moment, and it's been that um, it's been like that for about two years now. Uh, and I think it's the reason why people are so fed up of him, and why people wish he wouldn't be in attacking positions, and why we want Elise and Abue to be playing uh, instead. But how do you feel? Do you think he should have passed or or shot? Well, I, I appreciate the mentality in passing, but his problem is... And I, th- I think this is the, the trend with the shooting because all of the situations seem to be slightly off-centre. He's sort of one-on-one. I mean, he's not direct enough to really be a true one-on-one, but still. Um, and rather than just put his laces for it, try and get a bit of height on it, try and nestle it beyond the keeper, he kind of just fires it low and driven on the floor. And that lets him down because it's so easy for a keeper to scramble up if they're on it. And that's pretty much always what seems to happen. It's it's so I can visualize it, and I, it doesn't matter who it's against. I can visualize the exact setting. It's a fairly sunny day at Selhurst. He's attacking the Homesdale. He comes in slightly off the right, and he's going at someone. It could be anyone, and he sort of it's a low driven shot. It's right at the keeper. They get it. It's like how many times have we seen that? And um, it's so frustrating. But but I want to wrap up on some optimism because 
one thing I was really, I mean, I was even talking to my family about this. Um, one thing that really gave me a lot of optimism is we're still in 10th as, at the time of recording, at least. We're three from Europe, five from relegation in terms of points. Um, one big thing that really stood out to me is that other than us, um, it's only Brighton, Fulham and Newcastle that are the traditional non-top six teams that are above us. Um, by varying gaps, but let's be honest, all three of those absolutely deserve to be where they are, even the scum. Um, I'm not going to brown those, Brighton, because to be honest, I think they're actually in a bit of a decline, and I think that Chelsea game really picked them up a bit, but actually, that's a story for another time. Um, certainly Fulham and Newcastle, I mean, there's no doubt that they deserve to be where they are. Um, Fulham have really, basically, they've only done a half revolution. They've signed some brilliant players, but they've not actually changed the, um, the feel of their team, and they've done brilliantly, and Newcastle are only just tipping the iceberg of Saudi money and they've already got a really good unit um, under Eddie Howe. So, you know, I think to be 10th where we are is actually pretty decent, all things considered. I mean, we've got three wins in the draw in our last five. Obviously, you exclude Everton from that and suddenly that's a good run of form. And, um, you know, 10 points in our last five is nothing to be scoffed at and it's ultimately buoyed us to where we are. I think that's all really good news. And I think even if it doesn't like band-aid over some of these really like poor halves of these dodgy moments, I mean, that is football. You're never going to have a perfect game. We are not Real Madrid with, the, with all the best will in the world, you know. We don't have world-class quality. Maybe Zaha if you're pushing it. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, we have to count our blessings here and say that we've done fairly well to be where we are. And at least with the games we are winning, they're games that you expect to be won. You know, there were so many times against, you know, you think about Leeds in the past or Southampton where you, you kind of you question why these sorts of games you collapse in. Um, under Roy, we saw it. We certainly have seen it once or twice under Vieira too. Everton was a great example. You know, I thought we would at least have been good enough for a draw, but hey-ho, it's football. Um, I think our position in the table is a fairly sol- solid one. Um, you know, obviously it will slip and chop and change because we're still it's still early to make any big judgments. But how do you feel about our position at the moment? Is it ultimately a good thing? Is it truly reflective of our performances or is it kind of masking over things a bit too much for you to be comfortable with? Probably a little bit of a mask there. I don't think our performances have been as good as last season. You know, I felt like the story of last year was dominating a game and not getting anything to show for it. Uh, and this season, it's been a bit more, there's been a bit more luck there's been a bit more games where we haven't played nice football um, and it's just been a bit more boring. But at the end of the day, we're grinding those results and we're getting something out of games we wouldn't normally get. And you can still look back and say, you know, if we hadn't thrown away City, if we hadn't thrown away Brentford, we're in the top six. And yeah, I think holding out those games is the difference between sort of a mid-table side and a Europe uh, League contending side so I think we're probably in a bit of a transition phase and as we finish um, this whole period of transition with new signings and hopefully a Vieira contract extension if everything continues as it is um, we should be in a position to be one of those teams contending so I'm happy about the league position it might be a bit of a mask but I don't mind because at the end of the day we're in the top half, and if we keep this up, we'll get our joint highest uh, position ever. If you can count 10th as top half, it's a bit debatable. But. I feel like if you were drawing a line of the trajectory of the club, it would genuinely be quite heavy upwards, right? You just have these little dips all over the place, and I think that's the story of Vieira so far. It's like the general trajectory, when you take the bigger view, the bird's eye view, it's actually really strong, but it always just kind of, you always go in with a higher definition and you start to see what's really going wrong and you start to see the cracks. Um, 
it hasn't fallen apart, which is the main thing. And let's hope that doesn't happen because at the moment, I think, you know, we're really taking what we can. And uh, whilst we're not maybe a hundred percent, we're certainly making the best of what we've got. And, you know, we are definitely uh, a few tools short of a shed, but we are getting there. We are getting there. Um, a box to box midfielder would do this team absolute wonders. You know, I mean, we do miss Gallagher, even if we don't miss his sort of shit passing, but that's not the point. Um, you know, we're definitely a suboptimal team compared to where we could be. Um, but that will that will be addressed in due course. Um, I'm just going to round off the pod with a couple of interesting points. Uh, Nathan Ferguson is back playing for the under twenty ones in a in a bid to regain a consistent spell of fitness. Hopefully, we can see a few more minutes from him this season. Um, I wouldn't bet your house on it, but he's definitely someone that I isn't out of my thinking. Frankly, I'm even if there's a lot of frustration about his injury. I mean, there's always that naive part of me that wants to be optimistic that he has got a big role to play for this club. He will be at one day. Um, Mark Gahey is the only outfield player to have played every minute of the season so far. Um, our depth is being stretched and called upon as well. And again, it goes back to that point I was saying. I, I think we're trying to make the best of that. Um, Guiter, man of the match against Southampton as well. Big bit of news there. Interestingly, before I got to this last point, um, the man of the match for October vote is open. So that's something that's really interesting to me, actually, because I know who's got my vote. I'll ask you for yours now, actually, while I'm on the topic, Bruno. It's... um. For me, it's between Eze and Edward, and I'm going to give it to Edward. Oh, I was hoping to disagree with you, but Edward is, for me, um, forget performances and who actually deserves it. I think he deserves it for his confidence because he's all, he's often had issues of being clinical, but he's now got, what, three goals? Yeah. And he's already, I mean, two assists as well, actually, in uh, what, 13 appearances, I'd like to say. Um, yeah, the point there. is, he's he's getting really consistent with his direct goal contributions, and it, it's the cherry on top of his um, overall pretty decent performances for us in terms of movement and link up. So, really good again to see him on the score sheet against Southampton and and finding some consistency because that's all we can ever ask from him. Um, we know he's got so much good fundamental ability, but he's been missing that clinical edge. And I think if he can do that, then Matata is a bench warmer. He might as well be paying council tax if he sat on the bench at that rate because an Edouard with goal-scoring ability is 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 fantastic. He's He is the one. He's the number nine. Although, unfortunately, IU still has to shout. Anyway, um, but yes, Edouard seems to be our man. It's certainly something that um, was a massive takeaway from Southampton, not just for his goal, but the offside goal. His general build-up was superb. And I think we have this kind of deadly quartet now of... Um, Eze, Zaha, Elise, and Edouard. Um, that's not to say that they're not the only technical ones, but you get the point, right? Um, the four of them are fantastic creative outlets, and to have all of them at once increasingly on the pitch is uh, a joy to behold, really. Um, I think it really, particularly in that first half, paid dividends in terms of our creative ability and our attacking momentum. So is he our man at the moment? Is he really the one that we should be looking at the most to get those goals? Or do you feel like he's almost been taking too much of the burden? Do you, do you want to see more of other players, Elise perhaps, getting on the score sheet? Elise needs to score more goals. I think Arsene Wenger told him uh, such. Yeah, he but, did. Um, I don't think we're putting too much of an importance on, on Franchetti at the moment. I think Matessa could come in and have a similar return if we gave him the service. But uh, it's good to see him getting those goals. And they're pure striker's goals, you know. He's getting those positions in ways that a certain Belgian uh, hasn't done in the past, or if he did, he would um, obviously screw up the chance. So it's nice to see some a striker actually doing his job for once. Yeah, no, but you, you make a good point. I mean, if it was like yesterday, we had um, Benteke and Wickham gripped by Palace striker syndrome, where 
they just they, they couldn't score in a brothel basically forgive the phrase but you get the point there was definitely an era where um it was such a, a hideous hideous problem at this club where we could not find the back of the net um thank you very much for tuning in as always um again we're very appreciative of all the feedback you've been giving us it really helps us grow and learn um Obviously, we've had a mixture of technical difficulties and unfortunately, I can't go into detail, of course, but we've had some personal circumstances that have disrupted the podcast. But we are committed as ever to doing a regular schedule and mixing things up. Um, Just lastly, before I end in terms of housekeeping, um, we're always looking for more guests. We do have a rolling rolling loster. (laughs) You get the point. A uh, rolling roster. Try saying that drunk. Jesus. Um... Of, of guests that we try and have on but we're always looking for more input for more fan voices more opinion um just the two of us keeping it together is all fun and games but we want more debate it's something we've discussed and i think it's important i'd be open about that now um we really want to have more of your opinions on here whether that's coming in as tweets we could feature or more importantly as people that actually want to come on the podcast and talk so big or small we really want to hear your input so if you think you've got what it takes please send us a message at the palace way on twitter um we'd love to hear your your input um other than that stay well enjoy halloween and i will see you in the next one